All right, Josh, thanks so much for joining the show. And how is life post-Roe in America? Has it been a wild ride for you guys, I'm sure? Oh, no, it's been super boring. It's, <laughs> there's nothing going on here. No, yeah, it's been crazy. It's been really, really crazy. I mean, even even having kind of seen what was coming, I mean, we all thought that Dobbs was going to be, uh, was going to kind of basically turn out the way that it did. And yet... It was still shocking a little mm. bit. And, you know, I think, you know, it, it, I, I had this kind of moment when I started reading the actual decision. Of, I kind of got choked up a little bit. Yeah. And then everything just turned into work, work, work. You know, so I'm, <laughs> I, I think I had to send out like 100 tweets or something that day. And Emily's making TikTok videos all day, you know, <laughs> talking about the decision or responding to, to the pro-choice comments and stuff. And then since then... My my emotional reaction has been more sadness than anything else mm. because I'm so not focused on the legal side of this. And so, like, I imagine, like, if I if I worked at like American United for Life, you know, or National Right to Life, I'd be feeling like so much more like this, like triumphant or something, maybe. Yeah. But I I've been always focusing on helping pro life and pro choice people to connect. Yeah. And I'm seeing all these people, these pro choice people, push further away from me than mm. I I've ever seen them in my lifetime. And so seeing the way that purchase people are are talking about people like me, um, not to mention the the threats uh, yeah. on our physical safety is is new. Um, and then, of course, like usual, I'm also frustrated by seeing certain kinds of pro-life responses. And we've kind of done our best to try to, like, you know, kind of hold that back as best as we can. Let's try to not be obnoxious. Let's try, try not to be dunking on on pro-choice people. But you know, some people are just going to do that no matter what. So it's been, it's, there's been a lot going on and, and it's been busy, but uh, emotionally complicated as well. I, I, that is a great way to put it. Emotionally complicated because yeah, I mean the, the pro-life movement, especially the pro-life movement that isn't like you and I talking to people regularly. I mean, we, we see these little victories day after day where we see somebody who's moved on the radar on, on the abortion worldview, or maybe they become fully pro-life and that that's cause for celebration for so many people who only follow this very abstractly. There's been very few political victories anywhere any let alone something as big as the Dobbs decision and yep. so i'm curious uh, we're going to dive into a lot of the like faq stuff that you guys have poured a ton of time and, and discussion into but i'm curious you, you hit on the note of the polarization and how pro-lifers don't actually want polarization i wonder if you could break that down to us a little bit because at times yeah like you said pro-lifers are dunking on on abortion advocates saying like, Hey, pro-life is winning. Life is winning. Like, like how does it feel now to not have Roe? And that's not actually helping very much, if anything at all, because I, I would argue, and I, I'm curious on your take, the polarization only serves abortion. If people aren't engaging with us, if people aren't engaging, not connecting in a meaningful way, the further apart we get, the more entrenched abortion is going to become on a on a practical level, maybe not on a legal level. We might still be able to win majorities and elections and all that kind of thing. But the further yeah. we push people away, the more likely abortions are going to continue happening for far longer. Is, is that fair to say? Or what's your take on polarization and the impact it has? It's a really interesting thought. Like, I mean, and, and I don't know that you're wrong. Um, but what strikes me is like when they generally... So I, like I talk about polarization and tribalism a lot, and I and I and I don't think of it as like a one side. It's like this hurts everybody. Mm -hmm. This is making it so much harder for people to come together and have conversations about things that they disagree with without people losing their minds. Like if we can't even talk about masks and yeah. not lose friends, then like what are we doing? Like this is really really bad. Um, and I, and just seem like, like it hurts the entire fragment of society. Like it is, I know this is going to sound super extremist and crazy and, and just go, go with me and just trust me that I'm not one of those like crazy types of people, but I've listened in the last several months to multiple interviews with experts on global civil wars, not just like they know they're a historian on the American civil war, like they're a buff on that. Like they track all the civil wars going on in the world and have been tracking them for the last couple of hundred years and like pay attention to the like precursors to them and all these different things. And it is, should be disturbing to anyone that several of those people are saying like America's checking more of the precursor boxes, like common precursor boxes on this 
than it has been in a really long time doesn't mean that we're definitely going to have a civil war or something. But like secession is no longer this like completely like out there like idea. Like we're becoming so divided. And in fact, this abortion going back to the states arguably will make us even more divided because you're going to have like such a difference between red states and blue states um, in a lot of cases. And so how that turns out, I don't know, but I really don't want us to see something like that. And so it's like, I kind of like just go back to like Sam Harris. Well, like the reason Sam Harris, famous atheist, is such a strong free speech advocate is because he'll just kind of say like, look, we can either speak to each other or we can literally fight. Like we can like just like pull like who's the stronger power? And that's no good. And so like, let's try to make it so we can talk to each other. And so I would have said for sure, going back to, to your thought, um, before Roe was overturned, for sure, polarization, if it served anyone, it served the pro-choice side more because changing people's minds wouldn't really make a legal change. You weren't going to be able to substantially protect the unborn anywhere, regardless of people's opinions. You could try to prevent abortions. You could try to get people to vote differently and things like that, but you weren't going to really. So it's like the, the status quo is pro-choice, right? Um, and so I think there's probably some truth to that, but now in a post row reality, it probably depends on the state. Like, so I, I, I could imagine in Texas, uh, you know, if they ban all the abortions, then at that point, uh, more and more division maybe only serves the pro-life side because it's less likely that legal changes are going to happen unless a bunch of people kind of start thinking differently and voting differently. So probably depends on where you're at. Either way, it's super unhealthy how divided we are. And I just want to see that, that change. And, and that's a good point. And, and I, I would kind of come back to that point, I suppose that, that that's probably the best it, that at the end of the day, it doesn't really serve anybody to have people further away that it, it's not certainly not going to help us in a, a culture community kind of aspect. If we're just yeah. siloed entirely with people and we're just listening to the echo chamber constantly for good or for evil, They're, the echo chambers can be saying good stuff, but if you're not actually engaging the people around you, then having the, the filter on your Facebook profile picture only goes so far in engaging <laughs> engaging your your pro-choice cousin or or your your coworker or whatever having that little flag pinned up on your desk probably isn't going to do everything and so no if anything yeah. it actually might hurt it actually yeah. might make because because when, when i think of like issues that i might want to um get into dialogues with people that i disagree with if i see that they've changed their entire entire facebook profile picture to declare their position on the issue that indicates to me and i might be wrong but at least it's an indicator that they are more of a crusader on that topic than a learner to borrow from scott yeah. klusendorf's kind of yeah. the way that he, he, he categorizes the, the those two things and that makes i'm just uh, less compelled <laughs> to go and try to change the crusader's mind versus someone who's like let's like learn and let's figure out truth together so yeah, I mean, generally, just like, I mean, you guys know, without race, we, I interviewed you on my podcast to talk about door-to-door uh, -door stuff. And like, and like, you guys know too, like there's certain things you don't wear to an outreach. Um, and for the same reason, if not, if might even be more obvious, don't have a big obnoxious, like political statement as your profile picture. Cause that's the only thing they're seeing if they're dialoguing with you on social media outside of text, pure text. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's dive into some of this, um, yeah. some of the, the FAQs and whatnot. And, and I guess kind of as a pivot that direction, let's talk a little bit about hysteria. And I, I feel like mm -hmm. I was talking to you a little bit before we, we hit the record button on how surprised I've been with the lack of hysteria in some ways in Canada here that I was expecting. Yeah. And I, I did have it come up a little bit, but things, the alarmist, like, oh my goodness, we don't want this coming to Canada. We don't want women going to prison for having miscarriages. We don't want X, Y, Z. And I felt like, so one of the, the media talking points that I was actually training a lot of pro-life leaders in Canada around was how radically different American culture is than Canadian culture, telling them like, you don't have to worry about the equivalent of the Dobbs decision in Canada. That's not how the Canadian political situation works. It's not how the legal situation works. But I've been surprised. I, I wouldn't say impressed because I feel like it's not a matter of people responding more critically 
than I had anticipated. It's more just with apathy of, yeah, the states are bonkers. Um, but right. thankfully, we in As Canada usual. are more enlightened. Um, <laughs> we're, we're happy to pretend that we're Americans when it comes to being cool and cultural and whatnot, but not whenever right. you guys make anything meaningful like this happen. Right. Um, what has your take been on hysteria and what are some kind of like guiding principles that you and the team at ERI have been talking about with how to navigate people who are basically, yeah, hysterical on this of what does this mean for America? What kind of principles should we bear in mind before we dive into some of the concrete questions about prosecution and medical access and that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. So a couple things come to mind. So for first of all, hysteria i think isn't is an accurate word for for a lot of people's reaction to this situation and like that makes me really sad because i feel a lot of sympathy or empathy depending on how you define those two words um for them um because while i don't think that all of it is uh based in reality um they're really feeling it and I don't want to see all these people, people that I care about as members of the human family, people that I care about as people that I want to reach, feeling terrified or raged or or whatever. Like that's just like this this is not only is it pragmatically super unhelpful for us being able to talk to each other, but also it's just like it's just like it's, it's, I'm sad for anyone to be experiencing emotions that strong. But I I but part of that then makes me feel frustrated with the pro-choice people who have, I think, misled so many people into in, into the hysteria. Like, there are so many people that are basically talking like we're, like, America's now in the prequel to Handmaid's Tale. That, like, Gilead is, like, 20 years away, and it's like, are you serious? Have you seen Handmaid's Tale? Like, that's that's not at all what we want on so many levels. And, but if you're not paying a lot of attention to politics, if you don't pay attention to what both sides are saying, then like you might not know that. You might just kind of believe whatever Rachel Maddow tells you, just like a lot of conservatives believe whatever Ben Shapiro tells them. Like that's like this problem in general uh, with confirmation bias, like, you know, uh, plaguing our society. Um, and so that's one thought. The second thought I had, um, and we talked about this a little bit on our webinar, which is that I was, I was thinking a lot for the several days after Dobbs of, what should pro-lifers be doing right now when it comes to dialogue? Because we are like an apologetics philosophy organization, right? We're teaching people how to do responses. We spent 30 hours, uh, 30 staff hours last week talking about the prosecution question that I'm sure we're going to talk about today. Um, Cause it's one of the biggest questions being asked right now. And yet in spite of all that, I am not at this point encouraging pro-lifers to be like, oh, this is the moment. Everyone's talking about abortion. Here's the chance to get as many you know, like organic conversations as possible because the temperature is so high. So it's like just like thinking about what we all know naturally, or at least hopefully, at least some of us know naturally from psychology. Anyone who's been married for more than a couple of months, you're like, it's like, you know, like if, if, if the emotions are super high, you're not going to be having the most rational conversation. You want to try to bring those defenses down. And so I said, like, right now, it feels like trying to change, uh, you know, the average pro-choice person's mind is sort of like trying to change the mind of someone who's having an anxiety attack who wants to kill you. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, I think the best we can do, and I know this sounds so wishy-washy to, like, the kind of crusader types, which, like, this is time for us to listen. Let them vent at you if they're willing, to, if you know them and, and they're willing to vent at you, listen. Listen to their concerns. And some of them might even be legitimate um, and and worth exploring um, because I think there's a, 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 a potential for legislators to, you know, have, like, create bills that aren't written as well as it could be and then unintended negative effects could happen. We want to avoid that and, and, and just listen so that you care, that you care about them. Maybe offer clarifications you know, no, we don't want women going to jail for abortions. We don't like, you know, or, or you know, we all have a life with a mother exception, basically, or almost all of us um, and like make those clarifications. But I'm not going to be making a lot of like, here's why you're wrong about the entire issue. Like, kind of, I obviously wouldn't start with that anyway, but like, that's not the kind of conversation I'm going to be looking to have right now, because I think it's just not the time. That, I'm so glad that you started with that route of now is the time to open all those doors. To, to order coffee with with all of your friends uh -huh. and, and to set up the success of 
the the collaboration, the conversations, everything for the next six months and a year sort of thing. Because if this turns into a war of words, hopefully it doesn't become into anything more than a war of words when it comes to civil wars or anything. But like right. if if we come out shooting at the hip because we're so fired up with this win that we've just uh, witnessed and they're scrambling and reeling over what does this mean for me and my daughter and my best friend and everyone else, then we're, we're on a collision course for insane amounts of collateral damage. And so I love that idea of now isn't the time to be quiet and let people rage amongst themselves necessarily. Now is the time to be that person that says, we as the pro-life movement want the conversation. We want you to start. You have first opportunity and I'm not going to try to rebut everything that you say immediately, um, giving them the space so that if all they do is rant at you for a long time, but it opens the door for a second conversation or a third conversation or something that leads towards productive encounter, then that's going to be so much more helpful than shooting um, shooting nuggets across the bow over and over again. And then you break down that relationship, that opportunity, and you've galvanized them in their, their worldview. So I'm so glad that you start with that idea of yeah, now's the time to listen. Yep. Um, let's dive into, so bearing that in mind then, bearing that in mind and two probably of the most, uh, top of the top of the head for most people are going to be the question of prosecution and the question of um, women dying from back alley abortion. So if, if they're illegal, yeah. then women are going to die. And if they don't die, then they're going to go to prison. And I know that you and the team, I, I read your, your um, position piece. I am going to have it in the show notes. Not only that, but we're also going to have the live stream that you guys did on July 1st and covered a ton of these questions um, in the show notes as well. But maybe let's unpack the two of them. And because you've started with the, the prosecution, let's talk a little bit yeah. about what what happens and how do we navigate conversations around now that in some states abortion may be illegal and other states are still trying to figure it out where should the pro-life movement be at logically on here and now maybe not 20 years from now once the educational arm of the pro-life movement has caught up and done other stuff but here and now where should we be what should we be thinking of and where should we be at on the prosecution question yeah, um, great question. And I won't read the whole position statement since you're going to link to it. Uh, anyway, we did read it on our live stream. Um, but I'll just like pull the curtain back a little bit about just like generally the way that we've been thinking about this and kind of and just like summarize where we've landed because we've landed in a little bit of a different place than I think most pro-life organizations. Mm -hmm. um, and what we, so first of all, I've had an answer to this question for a very, very long time. Like, you know, any, any pro-life speaker knows this is the kind of thing that can, can come up in Q&A or if you're doing outreach, this is the kind of thing. And so like we've always like just looked at the philosophical part of that question. Um, and philosophically, we would just try to use this as an opportunity to talk about the concept of moral culpability being more complicated than most people seem to act like it is, you know, um, and and talk about like the nature of that. But we never really got into like exactly what should be happening legally or, or whatever too much because it's like a legal question. It's not really what we do. And frankly, I did not think that Roe was getting overturned until late last year. Like this has never been, so it's been more kind of an academic question. Like what if here's an interesting thought experiment that'll never happen. And, and now kind of here we are. So because of that, we, we felt like we should at least reassess the way that we've been thinking about that at an, at, at an academic level and see like, is this still kind of where we're at? And what we wanted to do was try, and this is something that we tried to do at ERI a lot, is try to find a, uh, if there's a couple of extreme positions, try to find a nuanced third option. Um, not for the sake of reinventing the wheel, just to say that we reinvented the wheel, but just like sometimes just like, we just want to add more nuance to the conversation. And there's two, I think, not very nuanced things that people are saying about this question a lot. Um, one mainly comes from pro-choice people and one mainly comes from pro-lifers. The one that comes mainly from pro-choice people are the people that are saying, and there are a, a few pro-lifers like in the abolitionist movement that would say this too, but mainly pro-choice people are saying, if you pro-lifers are not handcuffing women this year for illegal abortions, then that is proof that you don't actually believe that the unborn are like toddlers because you would totally handcuff them if they killed a toddler. So there you've been exposed 
you just care about controlling women or their bodies or punishing them for having sex or something like that. But you don't actually think it's the same thing as like the, the IVF fertility clinic frozen embryo thing. Like the whole point of that thought experiment is to try to prove that pro-lifers are actually inconsistent, that it's easy to say that life begins at conception, but it's a lot harder to to, you know, really like take that to its logical conclusion is attempting to show falsely that that we're inconsistent. So there's a similar thing going on here. The other nuanced position is coming from, frankly, a ton of pro-life organizations. Um, and this is just so public. I, I guess I, I don't have any problem kind of naming the National Right to Life uh, kind of took the leadership of putting together a, a paper that they got a bunch of signatures on and it and it went out. Um, you could link to it uh, if 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 you want. I I didn't know about it before it came out. I know several other pro life leaders that didn't know about it until it came out. So I don't know how they were choosing who to send this to, but I but but a lot of people signed it. Um, and it's the pretty typical pro life position, um, which basically says that we should never prosecute women for having abortions, and the reason being that we think of women as like the second victim of an abortion. In fact, some pro-lifers would say that, that, that the woman is just as much a victim of abortion as the baby, which seems a little weird on its face to, to me, given that the baby just got dismembered to death. Um, but we know, we know from pregnancy centers, from cyborg counseling work, from just knowing people who are post-abortive, that women's culpability in abortion is super complicated. And there are, so you've got, you know, at least according to one small study, over 50% of women said that they felt coerced into an abortion by probably her boyfriend or her parents, or sometimes the boyfriend's parents, sometimes a church leader, but usually her boyfriend, her boyfriend or, or the parents. So that's a super, that's a big problem. Um, sometimes they feel coerced by their circumstances, things like that. All of this makes culpability really complicated. And yet it just seems obvious that there's no situation where you can say that every single person that does this given immoral action is equally completely zero culpable. In fact, I, I, th that I think come across as talking down about women. That seems like kind of like this, like weird kind of like patriarchal, like, you know, like women can't think for themselves. They're not really free agents like us men are or whatever. It's just like, that's weird. Um, so culpability is clearly complicated. There's a, culpability is a spectrum. Um, and a lot of, when we think about culpability, we're thinking about what did you know? So there's an epistemological end of it. What did you know? What should you have known? And then there's like an intent side of it too. And there's other things too, but there's like two really big things that you think about when thinking about culpability. And I've always said that many women, probably more than half of women are not that culpable when they have an abortion because they've been lied to their entire lives into thinking that the unborn is a, 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 a parasite a clump of cells, a product of conception, at best, a potential person if you let it live long enough. Um, and there's no reason to think that people wouldn't buy into that. People believe what they want to believe. And, and if they don't have a really good reason for re-examining their views, frankly, pro-lifers don't re-examine their views that often either, typically. Like, that's just part of the human condition right now. And so we wanted to find a more nuanced kind of third option. And, and, and where we landed was that, yes, we should not be prosecuting women right now for abortions or probably anytime soon because not because they're never culpable, but because of the mens rea issue. So when we think about in, in, in like this ma massive principle of criminal law is that we're trying to figure out if someone did something wrong, were they trying to do something wrong or harmful? Like what did, again, what did they know about this uh, thing? And given that right now, most women don't have proper mens rea for having an abortion uh, because the last 50 years, you know, plus of lies about the nature of the unborn, I, it's not reasonable to think that any given woman is going to think that she's like killing a baby when she has an abortion. She thinks she is preventing a child from coming into existence. And given that, it just doesn't make sense in our view to drag how many thousands and thousands of women through a long criminal justice procedure um, which isn't staffed for that, which frankly, I don't even trust the criminal justice system that much to do anything well right now. That's a kind of a whole nother thing. Um, just to know that most of them are going to be found innocent anyway. And then what, what, like, what, what was the point of this? So like maybe, maybe down the road at some point, um, you, know, you can just think about the way our society, this was, this is a longer answer than I intended. I'll try to wrap up. Like if you think about how differently people think now about the 
like the 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 human nature of African Americans as opposed to in like 1840. Like it's just super super different, and it took longer than it should have. Uh, frankly, it is even uh, it's it's less defendable, I think, to have been in 1840 and looking at the humanity right in front of you and be like that's an animal. Like I, I, I can't even put myself in those shoes. Whereas I can understand a lot of people, there's reasons to be confused about the unborn. It's just not that weird. Um, and so maybe at some point the, like our society just like is at a different place in the way that we collectively think about the unborn, about, about human rights and, and, and all of that. But at this point we're not there. And so we're opposed to prosecuting women for abortion, as long as that men's right issue is the way that it is right now. I love it. Love it. I, I think that that is makes a ton of sense. And I'm not just saying this to pump your tires, but I think that, uh, I mean, this is probably a, a whole conversation potentially to have off air, but um, how interesting it is, how few of the educational organizations out there who are talking to moms and dads and, mo- and men and women day after day, we see this, we see this. And uh, I mean, I've talked to thousands of people and I have come to the exact same conclusion that the vast majority of people, and I've spoken to thousands of people who have had abortions, didn't have abortions in cold blood because they wanted to kill a child. They did it because everything that led them there told them that that wasn't a child. And and the armchair pro-lifer response of, but all they needed to do was crack open a medical textbook or, or biology textbook and they would have known that's not fair, right? Like, like you, you bring up the, the example of civil rights. I, to, to push another hot button topic, you think about this COVID pandemic that we've been through for the last two years. And it sounds really easy to say, well, just go to the doctors or just go to the scientists. And yet you see how much bad blood has been cultivated over this. And this has happened for two years. We have had two years of echo chambering and siloing. We've had Uh 50 years of it on the abortion issue. And sure, if you crack open a college textbook and look at that in isolation from everything that you've ever been told from your parents, from your your teachers, from your politicians, from your um, news and media, potentially even from your pastor. Like, why are you going to put some random pro-life textbook or random biology textbook up against all of these people that you know and respect and appreciate? So I, I agree that it can't be a, a complete... There's never any culpability, period, because there, there, there is something. I think that you make a great point that this is undermining women by saying that, oh, no, they, they've never made a free choice, so they have zero culpability in this. I, and so I, I love that balanced approach to now is not the time. Based on our experience interacting with hundreds of thousands of people across America, across Canada, whatever, people don't think this. And so maybe if we can help doctors actually convey accurate opinions and if we can get a little bit more balance in the media and if the education system as the the educational arm of the pro-life movement does their work over the next five ten however many years and we start seeing changes then maybe that makes sense to revisit the question but i i love the the very balanced and nuanced approach to it yeah and just to add one more i was <laughs> speaking yeah. at it like a, a small group of a, a bible and beer bible study thing uh last night and i noted like i'm really good at pointing at the bad news so so i'm gonna do that now it's actually even worse like it's such a good analogy that you just made cam but it's even worse than that because at least on like let's say the efficacy of masks yeah that's almost purely a scientific question there's scientific answers to that and then you can get to like what are our like you know moral obligations to the people around us and 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 things like that or or versus the government telling me what to do like okay that that's that issue where this it is so much more complicated than just all the pro-choice people opening a biology textbook because a lot of them are going to admit that the unborn is a is a member of our species yeah. The question is, and you know this, this, this is a valuable person. This is a complicated philosophical question that is harder to get people to like fully land there. It's not kind of yeah. as black and white as, as you know, some of the scientific questions that people mm-hmm. debate, like is the earth flat or not? Like things like that are yeah. pretty easy to like yeah. button down exactly what's going on there. And this is more philosophical. And so, yeah, you're, it's going to take a while. Yeah. To see, like, hopefully people just in general start valuing life more, start thinking differently about the nature of responsibility. Um, I imagine that at least for some people, 
if if they are going to have a hard time getting to an abortion sanctuary state like California, um, they might even start making different decisions when it comes to like their sex lives. Like this mm-hmm. backup thing is not there. Like so many different kinds of things might be thought about differently, but that is again going to be an incremental slow process. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's a great point that it is far more complicated on on that end. So great point on that. And so the second part of that question that I mentioned of uh, so we, yeah. we've talked a little bit about prosecution. Uh, I mean, pro-lifers will probably point towards people like Bernard Nathanson, who talks about the the exaggerated statistics from the past. But how are we navigating questions of in states like Texas and Ohio and other places where abortion is becoming less and less accessible? Women are dying in back alleys. Women are going to be dying in back alleys. How how has your team developed a a response to kind of acknowledges the fact that yes some people are going to be driven to do terrible things just like um in other scenarios here's what the pro-life movement is doing how are you guys unpacking that idea because it's probably more nuanced than just bernard nathanson told us that they were lying in the pro-choice movement and so women aren't actually going to be dying by self-performed abortions i'm assuming that it's a more nuanced position than that yeah i mean it wasn't always i mean before eri a long time ago like when i first started my pro-life stuff and i didn't really have any original thoughts of my own i was that guy i was like i can't wait for you to bring it back, Ali Borisons, because I've got the co-founder of Narrow in my back pocket saying that they made up the five to 10,000 women dying a year statistic. And it's like, oh, yeah, how are you going to come back from this? You know, I was that obnoxious apologist guy. Okay. Um, and uh, and then, you know, with ERI, you know, of course, we're trying to figure out what's like really works, what's effective, what's not effective. And and we've actually been adjusting our content uh, recently on this. In fact, we're reworking the entire, um, that part of the Equip for Life course, uh, hopefully this year, if we can get to it, um, because we made the first part of the Equip for Life course in 2016, and we've learned things since then. And so, like, we're still trying to kind of, you know, bring nuance, but also figure out what's what's working. So a few of the, the basic things we're doing, yes, we're not really debating the statistics about pre-row. You can go there but it should be like the last thing on your list. If you really need it, it's there. It is true. It's easily, you know, verifiable. So I'm not saying you never use it, but it's kind of like the statistic that only less than 1% of women have abortions in the case of rape. It's true, but it's just not going to be that helpful to the person you're talking to because then there's still 16,000 some odd women that are worth talking about who got raped in last year and became pregnant and chose to have an abortion. Let's not just wave it off as like, that's only 1%, like that kind of thing. Or at least it can come across as waving off. So that's like the last thing that we'll do. We're going to start by pointing out common ground, right? You always want to start with that. Of course, we don't want anyone to die from an abortion. We don't want the woman to die from an abortion. We don't want the baby to die from an abortion. So it'd be super, super tragic. Anytime anyone, in our view, dies, in an abortion. We don't want that. Um, something kind of the, one of the newest things that we've added to this is I think it would be more uh, persuasive to pro-choice people instead of going back to like the sixties and pointing out stats from them is to point to like current pro-choice talking points about RU46 because most illegal abortions are going to be RU46. People are going to be able to get pills in the mail from Europe, maybe Canada, maybe even states where it's legal. I this is one of the kind of the big open questions. Like, I don't know how much states like red states are going to try to legislatively like try to like prevent pills from going through the mail. I'm guessing probably not. And so that's going to be most abortions. And according to pro-choice talking points, RU46 is incredibly safe. Less, you know, fewer than one woman a year dies from RU46. Now we know that there are certainly uh, health complications that can happen from RU46. It, like part of the way it works is it makes it harder for your blood to clot, to 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 coagulate. So there have been um, a lot of women that have suffered, you know, massive blood loss and they need to go to a hospital. Like that, that can happen, but even that's not the norm. That's not the most common thing. And so to say, like, help me understand. Like we obviously we don't want all these women dying, but like help me understand why on one hand. You're worried that hundreds or maybe thousands of women are going to be dying from illegal abortions if now, as opposed to before, I mean, you know, in the 60s, RU46 wasn't invented yet. They didn't have it. And so it was a, it was a different thing. Now we, now you have RU46. 
which can be easily, you know, mailed in the mail. <laughs> it can be shipped in the mail. And according to pro-choice people, this is an incredibly safe thing. So it seems like only one of these can be true at the same time. Help me understand the way that you think about it, because I'm, I've always been open to hearing what the pro-choice research is on a topic. I quote Alan Guttmacher Institute all the time. So, like, are you disagreeing with the pro-choice talking? Like, like, where are you at? I mean, there's a very snarky way to do that. Don't do the snarky thing. Try to hold that back. It's really hard. I know. Um, and then another thing that we'll just, like, memorize this soundbite. I don't think we can hold the law hostage because of citizens threatening to hurt themselves. I, you know, I, I can't think of any other times where we'd keep a human right violation legal just to make it safer for people to keep doing it. We found that the, that specific wording to be really effective. Um, and then, and I don't even think, I think we skipped this in the webinar, but, uh, but we have a quick response video. We've got a whole quick response video series that, that we've done with like 27, I think now, three to four minute videos responding to most pro-choice uh, talking points or arguments. And, and, in, and so that's kind of the, the, a more recent thing we've made and, and is more up to date. And so sometimes we'll use a thought experiment. Thought experiments, you know, can be hit or miss depending on the person you're talking to and how much they are able or willing to track with a thought experiment. But there's kind of an interesting thought experiment that, that our team came up with several years ago where it's like, imagine this alternative universe um, or maybe a different planet where there's like, you know, functionally human beings. Um, except the difference in this alternative universe or planet is that um, uteruses are very different than they are here. They are very, very strong. They're, in fact, they're, they're practically bulletproof. Like, like you, you cannot, the only way to get access to an unborn baby in a uterus before birth would be like to actually like stab a woman. Like you'd have to, you can't get in there the, you know, in the way that we do in America. And so imagine a world where all of these women are like, well, we don't want to be forced to be mothers. Um, just because we get pregnant. And so um, given that abortion is not really a thing, it's not possible in this reality, they are trying to convince that country or that society to make infanticide legal. Here's going to be the quickest way to control whether or not we're a parent is to be able to, let's say we've got a one-month waiting period after birth where we can take our kid, our, our baby, to this kind of a clinic and, and the baby will get euthanized. And let's say that the way they were trying to convince people to vote for that was to say, if you don't make infanticide legal, then we will start stabbing ourselves in order to prevent ourselves from being forced into motherhood. So you better make infanticide legal. It's like, well, most people would understand, again, well, you can't hold the law hostage just because their citizens threatening to hurt themselves. Of course, we don't want them to hurt themselves. We should try to prevent that from happening. But that doesn't mean that, okay, well, as soon as there is one side that is willing to do harm to themselves sometimes in order to get what they want. Like that doesn't mean that we, that should force us to change the laws. Absolutely. Love it. Love it. I, the one thing that I'll add that I'm sure that you guys yeah. talked about as well is, is I, after a, a very similar sort of analogy to that, I'll say, and you know what, this actually puts extra obligation on the pro-life movement. You're right. The pro-life movement has work because we need the education so that people don't want abortions in the first place. Yeah. And when they're in bad situations, we need better pastoral care. You and I agreed that the pro-life movement has, has work to do. Do you want to help me out? That, that's, that's my recruitment so plug just to pull I it back that. in. Yeah. I um, love anytime you can kind of bring it back to the, can't we agree the pro-life movement has more work to do in this area? It's going to be such easy common ground. Yeah. And, and it's true. I mean, I hope pro-life people understand there is so much more work yeah. for us to do. Uh, especially in the areas of like really, really helping um, uh, women who might want an abortion with with resources and, and help and things like that. Like there's there's a lot being done. Totally. Pregnancy centers, hundreds of millions of dollars have gone into that. Yeah, but like there's still even more that can be done. Yeah. And we should like if there is one talking point that we should be making as clear and loud as possible this year, that's the one yeah. is that the pro-life movement is not done. Um we should be uh, trying to figure out how, in what different ways can we get more resources to women who find themselves in need because we're not doing enough. The government's not doing enough. Churches can do more. Charities can do even more. Let's be working on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. One, maybe two more. I, I got a team of, of people dropping off pro-life literature right now that I'm going to have to pick up in, in half an hour or <laughs> okay. so. So, um Major one that I, I've seen a ton of, I know that you guys have had a response. I've seen a bunch of other pro-life groups do a response. Let, let's um, put a nice bow on 
the the hysterical question I, I would argue of women aren't going to be able to get medical attention for ectopic pregnancies for mm -hmm. other things are these pro-life states these red states going to be banning procedures for ectopic pregnancies and parents who have cancer they're not going to get chemo until um, it's too late because they're pregnant things like that yeah Th this is more or less a clarification question probably right it, it's not a well in principle that baby is a person like it's probably more of a clarification i, I think it's fair to say yeah. So I think it's just, I mean, so tons of common ground. Uh, you know, we do not want pro-life laws in any states to be written in a way that would prevent a woman who has a life-threatening pregnancy um, from being able to have her life saved, you know, is basically I, the, 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 my favorite way of phrasing this. I heard from Steve Wagner, but I don't think, I think Steve heard it from someone else too. So who knows the origin of this is a really, I, but this is now the way that I always say it is all, like almost no one in the pro-life movement thinks that women should have to commit suicide via pregnancy. Um, and so I think part of the confusion here, just to go back to the, you know, like the, 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 the nuance thing that we want to add is pro-life and pro-choice people use language in the debate pretty differently. And this is a, this is a, an area where that difference in language can cause so much confusion. And that is on how are we even using the word abortion, right? So pro-lifers, typically will when they say abortion what they mean is any elective abortion a woman who chooses to have an abortion because of socioeconomic reasons or or maybe because of rape or something like that as opposed to an inelective procedure where it's to save her life or 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 something like that and so i think a lot of times pro lifers just want to be able to say i'm a no exceptions pro lifer i'm against 100% of the abortions um and pro choice people well, sometimes use the word abortion more broadly than that. So they might refer to miscarriages sometimes as spontaneous abortions, which has been a medical phrase for a very long time. Um, and they might refer to, like, for example, if you need to intervene in a tubal pregnancy or if you need to intervene if you know, in a very cancerous uterus in the first trimester or something like that, they would refer to that as an abortion too. Or pro-lifers don't really have a problem with those procedures, but they're not going to want to call it an abortion. But then we end up with this really confusing thing. So, and I think like a really clear example of this is the, this Dublin statement that came out in Ireland after the tragic case of Savita Halepin Avars, this woman who died arguably from medical malpractice, not because of Ireland's pro-life laws at the time. Um, but, you know, not, then they had the Roe versus Wade recently. And you had a bunch of pro-life OBGYNs sign this Dublin statement thing that basically said, you never have to do an abortion to save a woman's life. But the way they're defining abortion is as an elective procedure, which makes it a circular statement. It's not a meaningful statement. It's like saying the sky is blue. It's, you're, they're basically saying you never have to do an inelective elective procedure. It's like, well, yeah, that's true. And so let's be careful about our terms. Let's make sure we're clarifying our terms and just being very clear to people, regardless of what you call it, um, the ethics are completely different. If you are doing any kind of medical procedure to save a woman's life because you can't save them both versus an elective abortion procedure for like socioeconomic reasons, like self-defense is one way that you can defend, like intervening in a tubal pregnancy. Um, a lot of my Catholic friends will jump to kind of like double effect reasoning too. That's another way that you can do it. Pick your poison. Either way, like th this is a very defendable um, thing and it just becomes confusing sometimes the way that we use terms. So we need to be as clear as possible. Of course, we don't want a situation where any woman would die from a life-threatening pregnancy because of a state bill that wasn't written well, or maybe frankly, more likely, more likely the problem um, could be if a hospital's like bioethics committee is not well enough prepared for the situation. And I have this vague memory, and I, I need to find a source for this, uh, but I have a vague memory of like something like 10 or 12 years ago of a case happening in Arizona where like a woman had a pretty sort of significant pregnancy risk situation as she was at like a Catholic hospital. And it's like their bioethics committee just took like a too long trying to figure out how do we think about this? Almost like they're thinking about it for the first time it was at least like the way that I was interpreting the news articles about it. And it's like, this is not good. Like everyone should be ready for a, a situation like this because it's an emergency situation. Um, and so exactly how the laws get written to, to carve out exceptions for that. I'm not exactly sure what that wording or whatever needs to be, but we just need to be clear. Of course, we don't want women dying from 
um, life-threatening pregnancies. No one wants that, or basically no one wants that, except for extremists, and they don't. They they shouldn't have power anyway. <laughs> Turn off their microphones. Um, yeah. <laughs> love it. I and and free I think speech that, though. No, yeah. <laughs> hold it. Um, I, I think those simple clarifications go so far in helping people understand that we are reasonable people. That that we are not throwing women under the bus, literally or meta, um, metaphorically. We genuinely want women to thrive in society. Believe it or not, pro-lifers want want moms and dads and everybody to thrive in society. And I, I think it's a great way that um, to say that we're not gonna we're not gonna deny medical intervention to somebody and yeah. and force them to suicide by pregnancy. I think that that you had said uh, that's a great line. I'm definitely gonna start using that. So. And everyone should check out Secular Pro-Life. Secular Pro-Life has done some really great pieces recently. They're one of my favorite pro-life groups that does research of any kind. Like, they are the best fact-checkers in the pro-life movement. Um, And they've got some really great stuff focused on, like, all of the different state bills on these questions and kind of where they're at. And and I think sometimes those facts can actually be really helpful to pro-choice people who have, again, they've heard Mm. hysterical things and then just being able to say, like, that's not the case. Yeah, like that's not the situation going on, and we don't ever want it to be the situation going on. But uh, definitely check out Secular Pro Life for some of those resources. Absolutely, and, and we'll drop that in the show notes below, so you can you can find them easy. Um, Josh, I so this is going to sound weird. I, I feel like I know you really well just based on these conversations. And I was thinking just a moment ago, like, oh my goodness, I've only actually chatted with Josh like three times. Maybe four yeah. times, and, but and I feel like I know you too. We we are brothers in arms, man. I love it, love it, and and with that, I we could talk all afternoon. I'm sure. Unfortunately, I got to run and pick up some some um, pro lifers. Is there anything else major that that comes to your mind of like pro lifers need to be prepared for this because this is coming down the tube, and the spotlight is on us. We have to have a good answer to this particular question. What comes to mind for that is kind of a wrap up here. Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you, I think you uh, did a great job of hitting on the most important ones, okay. like the, the 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 prosecution question and like the life of the mother exception stuff. I see as like the two most mm-hmm. significant things being talked about, um, even being discussed behind the scenes with pro life leaders on how do we you know kind of avoid these issues. And we're pretty active in, mm-hmm. in those conversations. And so um, I think you did. I, I I think those are the most important ones. Of course, in our webinar, they're going to link to. We had like I don't know eight or nine or ten others. Yeah. But it's also a longer podcast. <laughs> um, but if you want to get into it, we did we did go deep into that. I think if if for if for, for like a final comment, what I would say is is, is something more general. Um, and this is something that people are going to be hearing us talk about a lot uh, this year. It's something we've been working with your Jonathan Van Maren on on a, on a joint statement that is going to be coming out soon uh, on this topic. But basically, um, pro life people need to be thinking about what different ways they would support getting more resources to women in need. So there's kind of, there's like a three-pronged version of that. And two of those prongs are very non-controversial. So one, churches can do more. Um, I've been part of multiple church plants. And I I feel like I've heard every church planting pastor has always said something along the lines of, we are going to be in the neighborhoods, guys. We're going to get outside the church walls and we're going to be like in our community being Jesus, being a light in the darkness. And I think it's a lot harder to do than, than, a lot of people think, and then and then sometimes it just doesn't happen. And so I, I want to see the church be you know be, be even better about that. Of course, charities is another part of that. Uh, the, you know, there are different ways for either um, pregnancy centers or mutual aid societies, or like all these different things to try to get resources to people in need. Of course, that's important too. The more controversial thing that I have to say about, it, at least to some kind of um, conservative Protestant types. Um, or, you know, maybe kind of hardcore Republican types is that I think uh, government resources is going to need to be a part of that thing, too. It's going to need to help fill the rest of that gap. Um, And so that can look different ways for different people. But I think people need to start actively looking at what kinds of government policies could they get behind and publicly support? That could be Mitt Romney's child tax credit thing he's been talking about, which seems very, very pro-life in its intention to me. That could be, you know, uh, ways of expanding uh, Medicaid, things like that, like regardless of what it, it could be UBI, you know, different people are going to come down in, in, in different places. Um, but um, I want to see a, a, a society where we're able to come back together. And I think it's going to be easier for that to happen if pro-choice people can see as clearly as possible that the pro-life movement doesn't actually have fetus tunnel vision. And this is a time that we need to be figuring out how to 
support these kinds of things um, if we can get uh, behind any of them. And I think that would be kind of my main, like I was asked last night, like, what do you do if you're a pro-life activist in a red state that just banned all the abortions? This is my answer. You start figuring out how do we get resources to these women in need because we care about them too. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And, and I think that a uh, uh, thought that I've talked to because libertarianism is, is trendy uh-huh. right now in, especially in yep. Alberta and, and to be able to explain, I was like, you know what? This isn't saying that for now until the end of time, we are going to be taxing ourselves through the nose so that we can do all of this. But this is a crazy time for everyone. And the church, there's going to be growing pains. There are going to be a lot of gaps that need to get filled. And sure, if 5, 10, 15 years from now, the church is filling all of those gaps and we don't need the government involved, then let's pull the government back out of it. But in the meantime not only on filling the gaps and and that is obviously first and foremost the, the important thing of making sure these women actually get the help that they need but let's also think about this especially in the next year or two as a pr component as well because it's not going to do the pro-life movement any favors when the Re- republican party is saying no we're not going to subsidize any kind of child care or maternity leave or anything like that that is going to yeah. demonstrate to people that we need that connection with that we don't care about children after they're born. The, the fetus tunnel vision that you mentioned, even if it grates your soul, bear that cross for the next, however many years. (laughs) And if you don't want to see that happen, then demonstrate through your church that it is unnecessary because it is, it is necessary for somebody to do. And if you can demonstrate that, you know, we don't need that in my region because our church is doing all of these things and there is not a single woman that's falling through the gap. Right. Okay. You might have a leg to stand on. Right. I can, I can assure you that all of the and regions. Tell me that who I've your church in, is. I want to go exactly, to that church. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> an amazing, exceptional church. So definitely the church needs to do more. Like you said, definitely there's going to be a role, at least in the short term, if not long term for government policies to be involved. And quick shout out to my colleague. You mentioned him as well. Jonathan Van Maren has done a couple of very cool interviews with politicians from Hungary and Malta, two countries that have instituted some very cool pro-life legislation to empower families and support moms and dads in um, financial stress and strain and, and whatnot. And, and, Tune into those episodes. I'll, I'll try to find them, put them in the show notes. It's going to be long show notes because there's lots of good stuff to to process through, but it's a good good time to be processing through. There's actually some good news yeah. on the go, and there's actually some yeah. cool things that you can learn from this. And so, yeah. beauty. Josh, you're the man. I appreciate all this time. You're the man. Uh, we're going to do this again shortly. I can't and wait. I I'm love talking to, to you. Looking forward it's to it. It's always really fun. You ask fantastic questions. Can't wait till the next time. Love it. Well, the questions are easy when the, when the answers are good. So um, it's mutual. We'll leave it there. And thanks all of you for tuning in. This has been a blast.